Hello, and welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings toward our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. I am Chicky. I am at the Chickren on Twitter, and today we are doing an episode on George R. R. Martin's original outline for the series of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I'm joined today on the podcast by Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And Clotho. Hi, this is Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Comma. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. So uh, this is going to be an interesting episode, and I want to give a spoiler warning just because we may actually end up talking about, like, released chapters from The Winds of Winter. Who knows what we might end up talking about here? We're definitely spoiling every scrap of available information about this series. So if you're concerned about that at all, it is definitely time to tune out with this one. Um, so I'm just going to begin by saying, because I've been in fandom for a million years, I remember when this original outline broke, uh, were, were any of you, I know Clotho and Kama, you were definitely in fandom when this happened. Were you in fandom, Devin, when it came out? When did it come out? I looked, I just looked at the screenshots of the tweets. It was 2015. 15? Yes. That's February. Yes, I was. I was. God yeah. bless us all for still being in this <laughs> at this point. Six years later. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's been a lifetime, basically. Um, so what happened was, it's we refer to this as the original outline because um, what happened was someone from Waterston's books in the UK went to George's UK publishing house, which is HarperCollins, and they saw in the lobby of his publishers on the wall behind like glass or I don't know. I don't know. It looked like glass to me. Um, four pages printed out that contained what they refer to as the original outline. It's really kind of a query letter, although it's a little less formal than perhaps you might think of a query letter, probably because George was an established writer at that point, I suppose. And it contains um, information about... <laughs> the trilogy that George originally intended to write and um, some detailed information about the plot of a game of Thrones. Um, and I kind of thought maybe one good way to intro this and to kind of um, give everyone an idea of what, what, what they're going to hear about in this outline, if they've never heard of it before is to read the request that we got for this episode. And the reason that we're doing this special episode um, which was from Sadie, who is a patron on Patreon. And and this was her request for this episode. She said, I have no specific requests or anything, but it's interesting to see what he, George, had in mind compared to what might have ended up on the page. So maybe a little look at how that original outline would have removed certain characters completely or really changed how we see different POVs. Actually, on that note... Maybe you could talk a bit about Jamie's original plot arc compared to all the glory of a song of or a storm of swords and a feast for crows and galaxy brain it into a story where he, Jamie still ends up with Brienne. And if you want to start drinking while discussing the John Arya Tyrion love triangle and what that might've looked like, feel free. 
So that gives you an idea of what you're about to hear about when we discuss this outline. It is, it is um, in many ways, a bizarro world of A Song of Ice and Fire. And I don't really know another good way to discuss it other than to basically read it. So this is, this is, this is going to be a, a reading of a, a letter written by George himself to, I'm not sure that this was to his UK publisher. It might have been to his American publisher and they just passed it on to his UK publisher. I don't really know. But um, I'm going to ask Devin to read the first section of the letter and then we'll talk about it uh, after he's done. Devin, you, you got it? Uh, let's do it. All right. All right. Um, okay. Dear Ralph, here are the first 13 chapters, 170 pages of the high fantasy novel, I promise you, which I'm calling A Game of Thrones. When completed, this will be the first in what I see as an epic trilogy with the overall title, A Song of Ice and Fire. As you know, I don't outline my novels. I find that if I know exactly where a book is going, I lose all interest in writing it. I do, however, have some strong notions as to the overall structure of the story I'm telling and the eventual fate of many of the principal characters in the drama. Roughly speaking, there are three major conflicts set in motion in the chapters in close. These will form major plot threads of the trilogy, intertwining with each other in what should be a complex but exciting, I hope, narrative tapestry. Each of the components presents a major threat to the peace of my imaginary realm, the Seven Kingdoms, and to the lives of my principal characters. The first threat grows from the enmity um, between the great houses of Lannister and Stark as it plays out in a cycle of plot, counterplot, ambition, murder, and revenge, with the Iron Throne of the Seven Kingdoms as the ultimate prize. This will form the backbone of the first volume of the trilogy, A Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, I love what he thought was going to fit in that first volume of A Game of Thrones. That um, he thought it would just be a trilogy. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, let's let's talk about this for a minute. Um, so uh, the idea that he thought this was going to be just a trilogy is obviously laughable at this point with five massive books published and I mean, he thinks there there would be two more to finish the series. I I seriously question that, um, and especially since we we know that that probably we're we're not we might get a little more, but we're probably never going to see an end. Um, <laughs> what where do we think where do we think things started to derail um, with this being a trilogy? Because we know that even a Game of Thrones is finished, got nowhere near finishing what it was was intended to do. So. What do you guys think? Could could this ever have been a trilogy? Did he just change his mind and decide to sprawl early on? What happened? I think in the hands of another writer, it could have been a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, the fact that he, I heard Devin sort of um, making an editorial chuckle <laughs> when he said he didn't outline his novels. I think that's part yeah. of the problem. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny how honest he is about this because you can you can tell he's like you know I'm not like other writers <laughs> you, can't, you can't expect me to have a total outline for this thing just trust me it's going to be a big a big epic trilogy. I mean what he what he gives here throughout yeah. this outline I think that could have been a trilogy, but it just. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, that's now, true. What yeah. we got now in no way could have been a trilogy. 
Yeah, I, I I definitely agree, especially not with the the breadth of character POVs that he ended yeah. up going with. Yeah. There's just there's no possible way. Um, okay, so let's maybe just jump into the section, the second section, which talks a little bit more about like what what he envisions the series kind of being about and and who it's about. Um, you want to read that part, Devin? Yes, um, this will be the themes and central players um, of George's from his original outline. So. Um, while the Lion of Lannister and the Dire Wolf of Stark snarl and scrap, however, a second and greater threat takes shape across the narrow sea where the Dothraki horse lords mass their barbarian hordes for a great invasion of the Seven Kingdoms led by the fierce and beautiful Daenerys Stormborn, the last of the Targaryen dragon lords. The Dothraki invasion will be at the central story of my second volume, A Dance with Dragons, <laughs> which is now the fifth. <laughs> Um, the greatest danger of all, however, comes from the north, from the icy waste uh, beyond the wall, where the half-forgotten demons out of legend, the inhuman others, raise cold legions of the undead and the never-born and prepare to ride down on the winds of winter to extinguish everything that we would call life. The only thing that stands between the seven kingdoms and an endless night is the wall and a handful of men men and they're in black called the night's watch their story will be the heart of my third volume the winds of winter the final battle will also draw together characters and plot threads left from the first two books and resolve all in one huge climax the 13 chapters on hand should give you a notion as to my narrative strategy all three books will feature a complex mosaic of intercutting points of view among various of my large and diverse cast of players the cast will not always remain the same. Old characters will die and new ones will be introduced. Some of the fatalities will include sympathetic viewpoint characters. I want the reader to feel that no one is ever completely safe. Not even the characters who seem to be the heroes. The suspense always ratchets up a notch when you know that any character can die at any time. Five central characters will make it through all three volumes, however, growing from children to adults and changing the world and themselves in the process. In a sense, my trilogy is almost a generational saga telling the life stories of these five characters, three men and two women. The five key players are Tyrion Lannister, Daenerys Targaryen, and all three children of Winterfell, Arya, Bran, and the bastard Jon Snow. All of them are introduced at some length in the chapters you have it at to hand. This is going to be, I hope, quite an epic Epic in its scale, epic in its action, and epic in its length. I see all three volumes as books, as big books, running about 700 to 800 manuscript pages. <laughs> so things are just barely getting underway in the 13 chapters I've sent you. <laughs> oh, God. It sounds like Dear multiple God. series. You know what I mean? When you look at it, the more you think, <laughs> yeah. oh, it should have been like three different. <laughs> the lives of five characters in three books. You know what? Never mind. This never could have been a <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you know, so you can kind of see like the first book is very like taut and like there's no fat on it, but like in the second book you can see that all going to hell. You know, yeah, all, almost immediately, and, like <laughs> almost immediately you can see that. Well, and the way we were all laughing at the fact that he thought that Daenerys's invasion was going to be oh, in his gosh. second book, A yeah. Dance with Dragons, Wild. which ended up being his fifth book. And an action. invasion has still not happened. <laughs> no. 
And I mean, I think we don't think she's going to get there and wins either. I, if she might get there at the very end of wins. I mean, like, he is so far behind his own outline here that it's crazy. Uh, comma, we had, I think, a question yeah, on this did. section. Um, Cardinal Girl 75 on the Discord asks, when do you think George decided to expand the War of the Five Kings? Do you think he could have finished in three books if he'd opted not to include Balin them or Bailing Greyjoy and stuck to book one, Lannisters versus Stark, book two, Danny versus presumably evil King Jamie, and finally book three, Humanity versus the Others. Or given his gardener nature, was he always doomed to expand his universe until he it got out of his control? Kind of think You know, I like I read a Game of Thrones. And again, it's so well done. It's so tight. And he had it in him to do that. So I kind of wonder, was it like the sort of Stephen King thing where he got too big to, to you know, feel that pressure to keep it that tight for the second and the rest of the series? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, uh, let me, let me to the, to one part of that question, just say, I, I don't think George as a writer ever could have probably kept it to three. I mean, even though a game of Thrones is by far his tightest work in this series, um, it doesn't come close to meeting the point that he wanted it at to, to move the series along. I mean, you know, we're not on the, we're not on the cusp of, of, of Danny invading at the end of a game of Thrones by any stretch. So I don't think that he ever, I don't think he ever could have gotten all of this done in three books. I, you know, I think one thing I didn't say was when, when this letter was written, he wrote this in 1993. Um, he started writing the series in 91, but he kind of got pulled back to Hollywood and was doing um, some pilots and things that never really went anywhere. And then, then kind of, I think um, walked away from Hollywood for, for that reason. And, and came back to his book series, and and that was, I think, the point at which he started querying. Probably, if you could call this a query, it's a little too familiar and um, taking a lot for granted. I think to be a real query letter, but um, you know, at that point with fantasy, fantasy series were starting to get longer. They had broken out of the you know Tolkien uh, trilogy. Um, you know, I, if you if you count Dune as fantasy, it had gone over that. Um, and, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of like, I don't know, this is contemporary with Jordan and good kind where series series were starting to break out and sprawl. So I think it probably was always destined to do that, I suspect. I do, too. Um, but I do think this could, it could have been done in five books, particularly without if you do remove the War of the Five Kings and a lot of things, particularly the Greyjoy things mm-hmm. um, like I think within the five books that we have now, I think it could have been wrapped up. Um, but I don't think it ever could have been three. No. Well, and it's just, you know, George falls in love with his stories, <clears throat> characters, and he just yeah. falls into them. I mean, we're, we're at his mercy with that right now. Um, every book has had more sprawl. <laughs> every, every, yes. every executive book is more sprawling. And, um, you know, I mean, yeah, like Kama said, I think there is an element of um, 
his success allowed him to do that a little bit. But, you know, he really wasn't hugely successful until after Storm of Swords. And even then, like the success that he had at at that point, as opposed to uh, how successful it was once once Game of Thrones got up and running and he was like publishing, say, dance, um, you know, now he's so successful, he can do whatever he wants. You know, I mean, I'm sure his publishers have very, very, very small sticks that they can beat him with. I don't think there's much (laughs) they can do to him. I don't think there's a stick at all. Uh, (laughs) Like, I think I just imagine him writing the Game of Thrones and just off to the side, jotting down like these all these other things that he had that he wanted to touch. I think it all started there um, as we see it throughout this series. And I think just he was doomed from that point. (laughs) Like as tight as that book is, each book just consistently gets more and more um, so much more world building different the different povs and everything i just after that first book i don't think it was there because as you said chicky like he, he doesn't get close to where he wanted to be um at the end of that first book is nowhere near so i just think after that it was it was always going to be way more than three <laughs> yeah the mess we've got okay does anybody else have anything else to say about this section or should we move on to the meat of this thing and yes, listeners, we haven't hit the meat of this letter yet, <laughs> just as a warning. Um, okay, Devin, why don't you why don't you take us into the 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 plot of a Game of Thrones section here? All right, let's do it. Okay, so I have quite a clear notion of how the story is going to unfold in the first volume, A Game of Thrones. Things will get a lot worse for the poor Starks before they get better. I'm afraid. Lord Eddard Stark and his wife, Catelyn Tully, are both doomed and will perish at the hands of their enemies. Ned will discover what happened to his friend, John Aaron, but before he can act on his knowledge, King Robert will have an unfortunate accident and the throne will pass to his sullen and brutal son, Joffrey, still a minor. Joffrey will not be sympathetic and Ned will be accused of treason, but before he is taken, he will help his wife and his daughter, Arya, escape back to Winterfell. Each of the contending families will learn it has a member of dubious loyalty in its midst. Sansa Stark, wed to Joffrey Baratheon, will bear him a son, the heir to the throne, and when the crunch comes, she will choose her husband and child over her parents and siblings, a choice she will later bitterly rue. Tyrion Lannister, meanwhile, will befriend both Sansa and her sister Arya while growing more and more disenchanted with his own family. Young Bran will come out of his coma after a strange prophetic dream, only to discover that he will never walk again. He will turn to magic at first in hopes of restoring his legs, but later for its own sake. When his father, Eddard Stark, is executed, Bran will see the shape of doom descending on all of them, but nothing he can say will stop his brother Rob from calling the banners in rebellion. All the North will be inflamed by by war. Rob will win several splendid victories and maim Joffrey Baratheon on the battlefield. But in the end, he will not be able to stand against Jaime and Tyrion Lannister and their allies. Rob Stark will die in battle, and Tyrion Lannister will besiege and burn Winterfell. Jon Snow, the bastard, will remain in the north. Will remain in the far north. He will mature into a ranger of great daring, and ultimately will succeed his uncle as the uh, command of the Night's Watch. When Winterfell burns, Catelyn Stark will be forced to flee north with her son Bran and her daughter Arya. Hounded by Lannister riders, they will seek refuge at the wall. But the men of the Night's Watch will give up. Their, will not give up their families 
when they take the black and John and Benjamin will not be able to help to John's anguish. It will lead to a bitter estrangement between John and Bran. Arya will be more forgiving until she realizes with terror that she has fallen in love with John, who is not only her <laughs> half brother, but a man of the nice watch sworn to celibacy. Their passion will continue to torment John and Arya throughout the trilogy until the secret of John's true parentage is finally revealed in the last book. Abandoned by the Night's Watch, Catelyn and her children will find their only hope of safety lies even further north beyond the Wall when they fall into the hands of Mance Raider, the king beyond the Wall, and get a dreadful glimpse of the inhuman others as they attack the wildling encampment. Bran's magic, Arya's sword and needle, and the savagery of their dire wolves will help them survive, but their mother Catelyn will die at the hands of the others. Over across the narrow sea, Daenerys Targaryen will discover that her new husband, the Dothraki Khal Drogo, has little interest in invading the Seven Kingdoms, much to her brother's frustration. When Viserys presses his claim past the point of tact or wisdom, Khal Drogo will finally grow annoyed and kill him out of hand, eliminating the Targaryen pretender and leaving Daenerys as the last of her line. Daenerys will bide her time, but she will not forget. When the moment is right, she will kill her husband to avenge her brother and then flee with a trusted friend into the wilderness beyond Vase Dothrak. There, hunted by Dothraki blood rather blood riders, two of her life, she stumbles on a cache of dragon dragon's eggs. The birth of a young dragon will give Daenerys the power to bend the Dothraki to her will. Then she begins to plan her invasion of the Seven Kingdoms. Tyrion Lannister will continue to travel, to plot, and to play the Game of Thrones, finally removing his nephew Joffrey in disgust at the boy's brutality. Jamie Lannister will follow Joffrey on the throne of the Seven Kingdoms <laughs> by the simple expedient of killing everyone ahead of him in the line of succession and blaming his brother Tyrion for the murders. Exiled, Tyrion will change sides, making common calls with the surviving Starks to bring his brother down, and falling helplessly in love with Arya Stark while he's at it. His passion is, alas, unreciprocated, but no less intense for that, and will lead to a deadly rivalry between Tyrion and Jon Snow. <laughs> oh my God! Ridiculous. I really, what it reads like? It reads like a crazy fanfic. It reads like That's a crazy right, alternate universe fanfic of A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of crazy alternate fanfics, I cannot remember. I should have looked it up before, but there is a very very well written one where John and Arya are in a relationship. Uh, I'm not saying I like it, not saying I agree with it, but it is very well written. I'll have to find that. Um, it was very good. I read it a few years ago. Oh, man. Oh, God. So there's so much, so much to unpack here, which is why it needs to be read. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way to summarize it for our readers or for our listeners because there's no. There's no way to summarize this incredible like mess. I, I, it's it's it. You can see what um, a Game of Thrones became in this, and you can see what the series became in this. But there are so many things that are just crazy, including the John and Arya incest and Tyrion being in love with Arya. So many things that are just really really wild. And then of course we have um, the the thing that's probably of most interest to our podcast, which is. 
this crazy thing of Jamie being king of the Seven Kingdoms, which is really wild. Do they mention? They just kind of mention him out of nowhere because I'm trying to think where's where's the I don't know was there more letters like it's just he just pops up like oh sent him remember he said he'd send him 170. Oh okay, so it feels like I don't know, but he would have read the okay, so he would have. I'm like, what the hell is this? Because all of a sudden he mentions Jamie, and then I'm like, well, where did he where does he play a part in this? Well. I know this is less of interest to our listeners, but Danny killing Khal Drogo in Revenge. Oh, yeah. As well, for Viserys, that her yeah. story, yeah. I will say, is, is much more interesting um, than that would have been. Agreed. Um, particularly yeah. in the first book, it's much more interesting um, yeah. seeing her story play out there. It just it feels like so, like, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around, like, so much. Like, it's... There's a lot, like the idea of Catelyn escaping north of the wall with Bran and Arya and, and her being killed by the others. Like that, that's a real departure, a massive yeah. departure yeah, which, there. But also feels like he took that maybe and that's where we get Lady Stoneheart. Yeah. Um, yeah. That she was always destined to die and come back in some way. And, yeah. And, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's cool to see, okay, this is a process and how these things kind of like really, really cool, like twists and things evolved. But it's like, but then it, it's scary too, because it's like, you could see how easily it can go off the rails. Like that it's like, <laughs> how could you, if he has something similar and outline with the rest of it, like not knowing where he's going, I could see how you could get stuck and just be like, I don't know what the hell to do with the rest. You know what I mean? Like there's points where you just can't. Well, like, was Arya meant to be, like, not a child for the bulk mm. of this thing? Because, oh, you know, yeah. and, 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 like, maybe I can't, I mean, just the thought of her with Tyrion, I just can't. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, it's not John. mentioned. Oh, you go ahead, Jimmy. I was just saying, the thought of her with John, too, the thought of Arya. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're gonna ship John with a sister, it probably should be Arya. But my God, I mean, like, they're just such siblings. The idea that so, they would ever have a relationship. I know, that's, yeah. what, that's what's weird. It's like, did, are they saying that they grew up, I'm not seeing anything saying that they grew up separately. So that's weird. Like, did they? It, like, it, it that, seems uh, like they still grow up the same way that we got. So how, I know, and how could you, we, like. We get there. <laughs> no, I, I kind of wonder if someday, you know, probably after he dies, his papers go to an archive or something. We'll oh, maybe get okay, our hands on the what he sent, because I presume his publisher would have had notes or whatever, whatever they do. Oh, the 13 chapters? Yeah, whatever he sent oh, him yeah. originally. I wonder how different that is from what we got. I mean, I, I bet guess it's not that different. Because, I feel because oh God, because it's we like, actually have a, we have some questions about <laughs> about this section. Maybe we should dig into those. Sure, yeah, and we'll, we'll discuss some of this real quick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I'm just gonna just take take them in order. Um, See them fly to on Reddit asks. The outline is very different from how the series ended up, but there are some plot points that perhaps find echoes in the series. Uh, for example, Tyrion destroying Winterfell or Catelyn gets killed by whites in the far north could perhaps mean she was always intended to be Lady Stoneheart. Do you think there are any plot lines from the outline that might make an appearance in future books, even if it if some is changed? Wait, even if it is in some changed form? Well, I mean, for sure, we're going to see Danny invade Westeros. That's definitely still in the cards. I mean, Game of 
Game of Thrones has definitely confirmed that as if we didn't all know it and sense it since she's been threatening to do it since mm-hmm. the first book. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, the conflict with the others as well. I mean, that's, I mean, at the heart of the story really is waiting on that entire conflict to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cardinal girl, Cardinal girl 75 from the discord asks, um, the outline mentions that we'll see the five main characters survive the series, Tyrion, Danny, John, Bran, and Arya. Given what we know, what Danny's likely fate is, although not in the manner of the show, old gods and new gods willing, when do you think George began, began to change his plans? Do you think Danny was originally destined to be the one on the Iron Throne at the end, or was King Bran always in the cards? I don't know that he said they'd all survive. Um, I think he implies they'll all make it like t- toward the end because um, it's, you know, their story, the five of them. But I don't think I unless I read it wrong. I don't think he ever said that they would they would all survive. It says make it through all three volumes. So it does seem to hit, like say that if they make it through all three volumes, they survive. I would. That's, that's, the, way I, that's the way I took it. I guess I, I would take that as they would make it to all three volumes. So, like, yeah. you know, yeah, they're they're in they're in the entire series. Um, You know, they've definitely got some plot. They get to the to get finish to the line and then. Yeah. <laughs> Anything can happen there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably still true. And, you know, I, I think as far as Danny dying and is Danny the only one of the five who's going to die? We really don't know that for sure. I mean, well, John did die. Um, <laughs> he's, he's obviously coming back, but he did actually die. Um, I, I suspect that that he he might have always always had that in mind for Danny. I'm not really sure how you have a coexistence of of all of these characters without one or two of them dying. Because I mean, and, and it seems too obvious to have this. She seems like too obvious of a choice to end up on Iron Iron Throne. Out of all the like, it just seems too like too obvious if you introduce this character who's supposed to, you know, in her mind inherit it. It just it seems too easy. As does John in a weird way. The the two of them both seem, uh, you know, especially as he's talking in the earlier sections of this letter about how he's trying to sidestep what reader expectations will be. Um, You know, they they seem a little prosaic for for what he's trying to accomplish, the two of them, either of them on the Iron Throne, which is not to say we haven't all thought at times that it would be one of the two of them. I certainly did at one point. Now, I haven't read his other any of his other honest other work does does he like these twists or is this a new thing because if if he likes these twists and that's his thing then i would say yeah definitely not because he that would be so obvious that he likes i have read fever dream which is i think maybe his first novel or one of his earliest novels um, it's the only one I've read. I own Armageddon Rag, which is kind of the novel that derailed his his okay. writing in the eighties. Uh, I have never been able to get into it. I've I've tried a few times. Um, I know that we have a member of fandom who's read his like entire over. Like she's read oh, everything. Wow. He's oh, written, wow. I think. And she says that he does have some running themes of things, I think, a little bit like that, a little bit of the twist. But he's never written anything of this scope in which to put that little twist in would be my response. But yeah, a little bit. You can tell he kind of likes to approach things from the side once in a while, I would say. Um, So he probably wouldn't do anything obvious then. uh, I mean, he he definitely has. I mean, he does. He does. And he does in A Song of Ice and Fire do Mm. very obvious things. (laughs) It's just that he also throws in, you know, a little bit. 
and even the even the term twist, it's not so much a twist. Like I, I feel like a twist is like a, a you know a one eighty on what yeah, you expect. Yeah. George likes to do maybe you know thirty or forty five degrees on what you might expect. That's kind of his his wheelhouse to me from the way that I view him. So, um, pretty thief on the Discord uh, says uh, there seem to be quite a few vestigial references to the original outline in the early part of the series. What are some of your favorites or those you find most interesting? Additionally, how far do you think these vestigial references go? Do they persist beyond a game of Thrones? I think the cat Mm. thing kind of does. I mean, she doesn't get killed by whites, but. Yeah. Yeah, the cat thing kind of does. I think you you see some elements of it in Jamie in in early A Game of Thrones. There are a couple of passages that we've talked about uh, before where it seems like maybe it's a little bit more about the Jamie who was meant to be as opposed to the Jamie that that we finally saw, like his conversation with Cersei in um, in what is it, Bran's first or second chapter of A Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that that Bran overhears. Um, there's and some even, in there. Um, even when uh, I think it's at the when they come north to Winterfell, John thinks, "Oh, this is what a king looks like." Um, yeah. There's a lot of little things like that throughout Game of Thrones. Um, other than the cat thing, I can't think of anything that goes throughout the other books. Um, that seems to be something left over from that original. I suspect a bit of the focus on like Tyrion and John forming a friendship is probably something of that that may not end up being quite as important in the in the ending that we mm-hmm. theoretically might get. Um, I don't know. Other than that, um, uh, see them fly too. From Reddit asks. Uh, reading the original outline, it is easy to draw the conclusion that some of the characters became the basis for several characters. Uh, for example, original Jamie became Jamie and Cersei. Original Tyrion became Tyrion and Theon. Um, do you think this is true? And do you think there are some less obvious splits inspirations? Hmm. Um, I think we could possibly theorize that there's a little bit of original Sansa in Ariane Martell. There might be a, an element of that there. Um, definitely the Jamie Cersei split is probably the most glaring because it, it, it there is a sense that George just took his original Jamie and just ripped it in two and gave the better parts to the Jamie that he ended up with and the worst parts to Cersei. <laughs> Um, Ancient Octagon on the Discord asks, in the outline, Joffrey ends up maimed. Since Tyrion kills Joffrey in disgust at his brutality, it's hard to imagine Joffrey's maiming would have resulted in a character shift like Jamie's maiming did. But do you think these two plot points are somehow connected hmm. or that Joffrey's maiming was the inspiration for Jamie's? Um, I, I kind of thought when I read this back in the day and rereading it now, I kind of thought that Joffrey's maiming was the inspiration for Tyrion's. That is also what I thought. I mean, to be fair, it's easy to get confused because George maims so many of of his characters. (laughs) 
Um, with that, particularly with Joffrey being maimed, like that Joffrey sounds like a completely different character. Well, not completely different, because there's still the brutality and everything. But I mean, he was he was on the battlefield because for, for him to have seen Rob that close in battle, it means he was. I mean, he was in it. He was and not he the was Joffrey not just waving his sword from safety. Yes, like he was there in it. Um, and I think that could have been a little more interesting telling of Joffrey um, had he actually been. Uh, I mean, formidable on the battlefield. I think mm-hmm. that I think that would have been maybe a little cool to say, see of Joffrey. Well, I think like we've talked about, there's there's an implication that there might have even been more of a time jump within his original concept for the first book of a Game of Thrones, and we might have had a slightly older Joffrey. But you know, that's actually another vestigial thing. Is I, I think probably the the clashes between Rob and uh, and uh, Joffrey at Winterfell. Yeah. At the very beginning, oh, might have yes. been uh, a foreshadowing right. of, of future battlefield clashes that never actually really happened in that way. Well, and I mean, there has to be a time jump because he and Sansa, uh, Joffrey and Sansa get married and she has a child. Yeah. And so, Jamie has time to murder everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, everyone, including, you would think, everyone. my child and Sansa. You would think, yeah. Um. Those are the questions on the, uh, the this section. And then the rest of our questions are specific to our two favorite characters, Jamie. <laughs> okay, maybe before we jump to those, I have a couple of questions for you guys. So there, there, there are, you know, we could tear this thing apart for six hours. There are a couple of things that really um, stand out as interesting to me about just the way that number one, George is very focused on the Lannister versus Stark aspect of all of this. And the way that he identifies Tyrion and Sansa as like the black sheep in their family who quote unquote betray their own family. Um, what, what do you think, um, did and didn't push him to change this? Because, you know, in this, there's a sense, well, what if Jamie kills Joffrey in this, right? Is it Jamie or no, it's Tyrion that kills Joffrey in this. Like what made him decide to change his mind that it wasn't going to be Tyrion that actually killed Joffrey? What made him change his mind that, you know, Sansa wasn't going to, you know, out and out completely betray her family? Like did, did he did he fall into the characters and 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 couldn't do that or or what what was the change there? I would lead lean towards him falling into the characters um as I mean, as he says he doesn't <laughs> write outlines. Or um, and he's a gardener. And just the more he wrote and got into these characters, um, I think he just felt it better to go that way, um, opposed to, like you said, having Sansa outright betray her family. Um, and more so in the way we get it. I mean, I, I never think she betrays the family, but fandom will tell you differently for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, she's a kid at that time or whatever, but I do think that it was just him getting more into the characters and taking them a different way. I wonder, like he started, maybe he started writing their father and Tywin and maybe he, you know, as, as you start piecing this out and he just started. Yeah. I think the characters probably took him in a different path. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like George, doesn't it? Sounds like more of his um, his way of dealing with this stuff. So um, also, I think in order to honor uh, Sadie's um, original request, 
we have to talk a little bit about what what the point would have been of this John Tyrion Arya love triangle, and um, what what do we think what do, what do we think uh, may have 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 evolved from that? Um, you know, we saw a hint on the show uh, Game of Thrones of a a possibility of a John Danny. Tyrion love triangle at, yeah. at the end of season seven that then they kind of drop like a hot potato in season eight. Um, do we, I mean, do we think that that's what he morphed it into? Did he just drop this entire concept altogether? It just seems so weird because even like as, as messed up as it is, there's some kind of weird, bizarre, you could, you could sort of figure out some psychology about around Jamie and Cersei and how that happened. Like, I just can't wrap my head around that she would suddenly like she realizes that you're suddenly falling in love with her it doesn't make sense you know that that part is weird to me i think when there's like yeah. it's different i don't i don't i don't think that happens that way i know there's when that happens it must be some kind of weird bizarre <laughs> i mean i don't know it's just weird it's so it just seems like it doesn't fit any kind of like psychological profile like, of, like maybe see like family like maybe there's even though it's not presented at, th- at this, if because separate enough. But if they had discovered they weren't siblings, and then we're dealing with, oh wow, if this that is a whole other first, thing. Yeah, but, but then it'd be cousins. If that, yeah, that discovery would need to take. I could kind of see that happening, but that would need to take pl- place before. Whereas in this outline, if I'm reading it correctly, she has the realization. Before the revelation, which yeah, isn't really yeah. expressed. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, like it says, it's, yeah. And the other thing is, is in order for there to be a, a like a triangle, you have to have some evidence of that on the other party. So, <laughs> so it's just like Tyrion just kind none. of liking and, area, and, maybe, and then like a, I, maybe he decided. <laughs> I, like, I kind of hope this doesn't happen, but like a. God help me, a John Sansa Tyrion triangle would make way more sense than John Arya and Tyrion. Yeah. And I don't like that idea. Please oh, yeah. don't like me. <laughs> I not don't shipping. think it makes more sense. Oh, but, yeah. well, I think something I, I where mean, they were like, separated, like there, there has to be some separation, not like, of, oh, we grew up together. <laughs> I, you know, there's some sort of like emotional distance between, oh God, I can't believe I'm defending this. Like I could kind of see it <laughs> Go because... Ahead. We have the Tyrion Sansa relationship that we got, as gross as that is, <laughs> uh, and, and there, and we also kind of have that distance between Sansa and John, which makes it. And then, like, if the show is right, which I really hope it isn't, you know, Sansa and John have all those interactions, you know, later on, at least in the show. I don't like it. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but I mean, if I had to choose between the two, yeah, that would seem slightly more that plausible or like, slightly more <laughs> I mean, I completely disagree with that just because I don't think <laughs> well, I don't Santa is John's type. <laughs> I don't think they're One each bit. other's type at all. I, I can see John being into an Arya type because that, is the type he's well, into. Can you see Tyrion being into an Arya type? No, I can't. I, I can see I can see Tyrion being into a Sansa type, which is interesting. This is a big change. I mean, Sansa yeah. doesn't marry Joffrey, as in this outline. Sansa marries Tyrion. You know, I mean, it, it is the, that's another big uh, mm. difference that happens. Um, 
And I don't know. It's hard to know. Like, did he did he did he even know that he was going to, like, say, have Sansa marry Tyrion in in a Game of Thrones when he was writing it? Did that happen in Clash? I I think a lot of things happened in Clash for him as far as, like, kind of clarifying where he was heading with some stuff. That's my personal theory. I don't know. It's just such a it's an it's it's interesting that this was his original concept. I'm always interested, you know, as, as a writer myself. I'm interested in how people start with one concept and then end up like somewhere totally bizarre. I've had it happen to me too, and I'm never quite sure how it happens. So I'm always kind of interested to hear how it happens for other people. Um, okay, so we do have uh, quite a few questions about. Uh, oh, well, I have a couple real quick that aren't Jamie Ram related before we get into that. So um, given what we know of the Night's Watch, I, there's no way I could see them turning away. Um, yeah, yeah, they forsake their families or whatever, but I don't see them turning away, um, Catelyn, Arya, and Bran once they're at the wall. Like, even if, if just for safety purposes, um, that, that always, that was something that stood out to me is like, I just don't see that happening to where they have to go further north, end up with Lance Raider and eventually everything there. Like, that doesn't make any sense given what everything we know about the Night's Watch. Well, and and, and given what we see happen, because that's not what John does when he gets... not what he does. Yeah, you know, I mean, when he thinks Arya's coming to him, he tries to help her. And when he thinks Arya is... Um, quite literally being held hostage by Ramsey Bolton. That's not what he does. You know, I mean, he he gets killed because he's 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 not going to sit it out. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I that's uh, another place yeah. where George went completely another way. Um. And one thing that I mean, every a lot of people at the time like seems like really latch on to is that oh, Rickon's not mentioned anywhere here. He's going <laughs> to die. I, ne- I never bought into that. I always thought Rickon mm. would live. Um, but do, do y'all make anything of that? Like, no mention of Rickon here at all. I think he didn't exist at this no. point. That's yeah. Absolutely honestly, not. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think don't think that's all very just, vague. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Game of Thrones killing Rickon really did a number on a lot of people's theories, including mine. I just never saw Rickon actually dying. I don't think Shaggy Dog being named Shaggy Dog means that, you know, Rickon's going to die somewhere. I think it just means Rickon's not the way, you know, everybody just kind of assumed at a certain point that Rickon would be the one who'd end up with Winterfell. And did I think that's probably not going to happen. for more money? Did they just... <laughs> I mean, these are the things that I imagine. Or he mouthed off the D&D and they were like, that's it, you're dead. I mean, these are all possibilities. Even the way they did it was so dumb. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Goodness. Oh, God. Or, or like, I mean, those are all things that could happen. Or they needed to call you know, salaries or something, or I think they just needed to call minutes of time. I think they time, just had, yeah. had to shave the thing down. I, I'm kind of, I, I think it mentions children. I don't think he had Rickon as a plan, but. Oh. Do you have, do you have any, do you have any other nuggets for us, Devin? Oh, that was it. All right. Well, let me dig into the Jamie questions first. Um, Guile, we all know Guile, she wants to know, our Jamie seems like a completely new character from the one in the outline. Why do you think uh, George changed outline Jamie so much? Stupid? I mean, that's my... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think 
I think he invented Cersei at some point, and she was much more interesting to him as a villain, honestly. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that she wasn't in the original. And like, that's kind of surprising because she is such a, you know, she's for a villain in the series. She stands out. So it's like, you know. Yeah. Was, yeah. And I mean, even clearly, outline Jamie doesn't, he's not that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Yeah. 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 He's not. I think clearly she exists in the outline because of the fact that, you know, she's, you know, clearly Joffrey's mother is Jamie and Tyrion's sister, but yeah, she's yeah. not there. And I think, you know, he must have stumbled upon it almost in the same way that Lena Headey changed the role on the show. I think George probably started writing Cersei and was like, oh, it's much more interesting if she does these. And it is. Yeah. Um, Cardinal Girl 75 uh, says, looking at the outline and thinking about what uh, how book two might have been Danny versus evil King Jamie, given that Jamie was supposed to kill his way to the throne. Do you think there was a backstory where he killed Eris, uh, whether he was in the King's Guard or not? That's interesting. Hmm. That's interesting. That, I, I feel like it would have been mentioned in the outline because there's there's not even a mention that Daenerys's family like nothing like none of that part is there as far as well they were they held the throne. This happened. This happened. Like you would think, like a little bit of that might have been the outline, but there was really nothing of it. Um, yeah. As to like, well, they've been in exile or hiding or wherever uh, for years because their father was killed and they lost the throne and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that I don't know. Well, that would make, you know, the whole Kingslayer a whole different proposition. Different. Yeah. He's done this before, people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you probably should have seen it coming versus the he did it because he had to, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and even the fact of, of Robert being king, there's nothing about, you know, his rebellion or, you know, new to the throne or anything. So, it, yeah, it, it, you really don't hear how the Targaryens got deposed or anything in, in the outline. So he may not have resolved all of that at the point that he sent us in. I think we should in. be really glad we did not get serial killer Jamie. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> Thanks, George. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, Pretty Thief asks, um, do you see any viable paths for Jamie to become, I'm sorry, for Jamie to become king in the version of the series we got? Are any of them at all likely in your opinion? No. It's clearly Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me. To me. I mean, you know, she has all, she is already the regent. She, she already yeah. kind of is. She, yeah, she got it. If that was at all, yeah, she got it. Yeah, he didn't. Because I can't see him. I know there's a lot of theories that were thrown out, but I can't see him. I could only see him ever, I mean, hand yeah. in some way, but definitely not keen. I think he would have to want it, and I don't think he wants it. Yeah, which I think yeah. is the way that yeah. things have gone completely different than, than, the, than the original outline, because, you know, one thing that George peppered in from the beginning of the yeah, game of Thrones yeah. that got published is Jamie doesn't want part that. of running things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ancient octagon asks or says, uh, this is more of an observation than a question, but it's interesting that Jamie's storyline has been so connected to protecting Sansa with his oath to Catelyn, the way he equips, uh, sorry, the way he equips Brienne to find her. And how he leaves his army at Penny Tree to help Brienne protect her. When in the outline, Jamie, quote, kills everyone ahead of him in the line of succession, 
unquote, which would presumably include Sansa's son with Joffrey and potentially Sansa herself if she tried to stop him. Well, I think, and I was going to say this, in a way, Jamie is as much the black sheep of his family as Tyrion. I mean, Jamie frees Tyrion and betrays Cersei. And, you know, Jamie is working to save Sansa behind Cersei's back. Um, he's kind of he's kind of in many ways the betrayer. Probably maybe you could make an argument even more than Tyrion up to a point. Um, because Tyrion thinks things, but he never actually really does some of this shit. Yeah. And that is the uh, all of our rest of our questions. Um, we have some miscellaneous ones, and the rest are about Brienne. Should Let's I die? do the Brienne? Yeah. So see them fly too. Um, Reddit asks, um, given that Jamie is a fundamentally different character in the outline, and there is no sign of Brienne, when do you think George invented Brienne during his writing process? Before, during, or after writing a Game of Thrones? That's hard. I think, I mean, I think probably um, at least after he had drafted a Game of Thrones, I think he, I think he knew he was going to do some things in Clash that he very quickly tweaked in a Game of Thrones before it was actually published. I mean, keep in mind, back in those days, he probably was turning in the manuscript a couple years before it was actually oh, put wow. on paper, before yeah. it was finally printed, I would imagine. Hmm. So I, I, I think he might have tweaked some things. So I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say, you know, sometime at, toward the end or after writing it, he, he came up with Brienne. The question is, which came first, Dunk or Brienne, to me? And I don't know. Uh, Regina Bickman on Reddit says, in the original outline, what, if any, role do you think Brienne would have played in the original outline since it's clear she wouldn't be falling in love with Jamie and vice versa? Would she have even been created at all? Kind of thinking, nope. I don't think she's created at all. And if she is created, I don't think become doesn't become a POV at any point. Just another character. Um, but I lean more towards I don't even know if she would even be created given the original within the original outline. Well, in the War of the Five Kings was so much smaller. Would there even be room for her to exist um, in the original outline, even without Jamie? I don't think so. And as far as her being a POV, I have always suspected he didn't make that call until he was done writing Storm, quite frankly. Mm. I don't I don't think he knew when he was writing a Storm of Swords that he intended to have Brienne be a POV. I think that was a late decision, personally. And then our last Brienne question is from Mount. Um, Mallory Wildling of Tarth from Discord, who says, um, if this original outline was followed, would there even be a character like Brienne who would set Jamie on his arc of becoming more sympathetic and developing as a heroic character? Kind of thinking no again. <laughs> nope. I mean, yeah. not if he's just if he's going to kill his way to the throne, blame yeah, it on Tyrion yeah. and deal with that fallout. Yeah. What's, what would be the point? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I kind of bristle at the idea that Brienne only exists for Jamie's storyline. I mean, certainly she was created with Jamie's storyline in mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably not. I mean, but uh, uh, by the well, same token, I mean, the a question, lot of characters wouldn't have existed if yeah, we had this yeah. original outline. Still still the same. I mean, and we I think may be better for it. The question <laughs> is, would there even be a character like her? 
So I don't see that. I mean, it doesn't, it sounds, he's not at all well, I mean, I don't know what were in, was in these previous chapters, but he sounds monstrous. No. <laughs> yeah. From the outline. So, you know, I don't think someone like that is capable of. He, he sounds like, he sounds like what half of fandom thinks he actually is. So it's funny. So yeah. I was just yeah. about to say that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. And these are, we had a couple miscellaneous questions. Uh, Shy Lady on Discord says, uh, will we get to see a love triangle at the end? Is it possible that Jamie Brand Cersei has taken that place? Um, It depends on if you view it as a, a love triangle right now. I mean, you could make an argument that there is a love triangle in Feast, and that's what you're seeing play out as they're the three central characters. Um, I kind of tend not to think of them as a true love triangle because I think George has gone to great pains to break Jamie and Cersei up well before you get any actual romantic, yeah. I should say explicitly <laughs> romantic interaction between Jamie and Brienne. Um, Mm -hmm. that's my take on it. Yes. But at the same time, I mean, you know, from a narrative level, it's a triangle. Sure. It's a triangle. Of course it's a triangle on a narrative level. And then our last question also from shy lady is why is George so obsessed with romance tropes? Is he a secret romance book lover? And then (laughs) she says, sorry, but I don't think there's anything (laughs) to apologize with Mm -hmm. that. No. Yeah, no, he is. And this is one of the things I feel like uh, that uh, gets lost. And this is why I love the analysis that we do on these books, because I think the one thing that gets lost in a lot of the really um, deep analysis of of troop movements and, you know, political machinations, um, you know, and and that stuff's all interesting. And I'm not saying there isn't validity in, in, you know, being obsessed with those aspects of A Song of Ice and Fire, but I think missing <laughs> the deep romantic tropes that run clear through this series in several different places. And with many, many characters many. is, is kind of missing the forest for the trees. Like the whole story exists because of fucking romance. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got, yeah. you've got Rhaegar and, and, and all of these people who are making just stupid decisions for the sake of romance or, you know, for prophecy maybe, but whatever, Romance underpins a lot of the mess, a lot of the good things, a lot of the bad. And, um, you know, yes, George, George absolutely loves this shit. He puts it in. He wrote for a, a big romance series. Like, he wrote for Beauty and the Beast, which yeah. is just romantic from beginning to end. So, yeah, yeah, he loves it. And missing that it means if you, don't, if you don't accept that as part of who George is and, and what he's interested in, you're not going to get the full, the full scope of what of the story that he's trying to tell. That's my, that's my hot take. <laughs> okay. Does anybody else have anything to say about this outline? I mean, it's insane. I, I, please do write in with your questions and we'll answer them later. There's a lot in here. We could spend hours <laughs> picking through this thing. If we had them, which we don't. <laughs> you know, it's just from a, it's sort of like, you know, I have friends who study literature and, you know, they look at authors, original like drafts and notes and to see the process of how you get from point A to point Z is just fascinating. Yeah. It'd be cool to see the actual sample chapters you sent. Yeah. Those would be cool to see. 
uh, it, it actually would be cool to see the, the little bits that are in there. So I, I want to close this out with one final um, bit about this letter, and that is the tiny ending bit that I didn't include. And it's kind of part of the lore of this letter is that there is what we call the redacted paragraph. And there is a paragraph. There are actually two paragraphs at the end. There's a paragraph after the redacted paragraph, but it, it's kind of unimportant. The redacted paragraph in this uh, posted letter in the um, lobby of HarperCollins in the UK is, is blacked out, but some very enterprising Redditors actually cracked a lot of what is in the paragraph. The paragraph contains information about uh, what George thought were going to be his books two and three and kind of the ending of his series. Um, now, uh, the fact that they blacked these out before they put it up is interesting because when this letter first came out, uh, apparently George, somebody in George's camp was upset. I don't know if it was his publisher. I don't know if it was George himself. Waterston's ended up taking down their tweet. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of a move. I don't quote me on this, but on Westeros.org to kind of kill talk about this letter. Um, it did hold a lot of spoilers, especially in 2015, before we saw the ending of Game of Thrones. I think that would have been before season five aired. So there were a lot of things that 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 were that were even in the unredacted parts of this letter that were spoilers for <laughs> A Song of Ice and Fire, at least it, confirmation spoilers, maybe. So anyway, I've got the little bit of text in this redacted letter, and I will read it to you. I, it, it is very incomplete. Um, and if you want to look into this, maybe when we post this mm. this episode, we can put links to like some of these Reddit threads and everything if you really want to get into the weeds with this. So here's what's in the redacted paragraph that we know. And, and there is admittedly at least one full sentence of this missing. And I I, I watched a lot of this happen, and they, they did a lot of, you know, like – super Photoshop sleuths were like changing the the white balance and stuff to kind of pick out what was behind the Sharpie in this blacked out paragraph. And, <laughs> and we can see the tops and bottoms of some letters. So we do have some concepts. So here I'll it read you what crazy. Mm-hmm. It was that. insane. It was insane to watch <laughs> oh, it. A, a good example of the power of the internet and how like, you know, <laughs> anything can be cracked. I think that even at one point we're using like AI to help fill this in. I don't know. So, let me read this. So the, the paragraph begins and says, by the end of A Game of Thrones, which was the original book, and then we have a whole sentence that's lost. Uh, it says, uh, something to the Iron Throne with blank, um, something premature death. Bran sits free, yet his seat is hardly a comfortable one. In the North, Jon Snow is his bitter enemy. Um, beyond the narrow sea, Daenerys Stormborn prepares her invasion, and on the far side of the wall, the others are watching with cold, dead eyes and gathering their strength. So there, there's definitely an interesting possible allusion here to Bran um, being some kind of king. Um, <laughs> we have Jon Snow being Bran's enemy, which is a fascinating thing to consider, if that part is correct. And um, then the, th- the kind of thing that stands out to me is how it's, you know, Danny's preparing her invasion, but the last sentence is very much dedicated to the others and what's going on, uh, you know, beyond the wall and in the North as, as kind of like the central theme of the series, which is kind of where game of Thrones really broke away. I think from what George intends with his books, where they kind of made the, the, the game for the throne, the real story, um, which I think at least if we can believe the outline is is not what George is about unless he's completely changed gears. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about this final little blip of a paragraph here? I, I totally agree that the, the others is the real conflict. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it's a political yeah. thing. I thought that was obvious. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I don't think that has 
I've never thought that's changed. Yeah. 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 And I've always thought this is why we start with them in the prologue. Like, like, this is the clear threat. So this is where we're starting. And then we'll get into all these other things, but never forget about what the actual threat here is. Agreed. I totally agree. Yeah, I think I think he intends to bookend the series. So you've got the prologue is focused on the others. And I imagine that the epilogue of whatever book he intended to be the last book that we'll never read was probably supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's tons of like historical examples of that. And then even if looking at today, you know, all this stuff that's going on and then climate change, you know, whatever you want to pick, like as the main threat to like, you know, civilization or, you know, different countries or whatever, but it's just, yeah. I mean, that makes the most sense. The existential threat. Yeah. Right. Okay, so any other thoughts about this crazy, crazy outline that both is and isn't useful in trying to predict what's going on in this stupid series? (laughs) (laughs) That we've devoted a significant chunk of our lives to. (laughs) (laughs) Our hobby life work, I guess, is the best way to put it. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you would like to write in with your own questions or thoughts about this letter, please do. We'll address them in a later um, episode. You can send us a message on our Tumblr, which is closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. You can give us uh, a response or a question on uh, the Jamie Brienne subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Jamie Brienne. Uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter, our amazing Twitter account run by Guile, who is um, much more entertaining than I could imagine being on Twitter. Uh, and that is at Door Podcast. And of course, we always appreciate our patrons on Patreon, like Sadie, who requested this special episode. Um, you too could support us on Patreon at um, patreon.com slash close the door. And uh, I want to thank my panel for hanging in. This was a long and um, meaty episode today. You guys were superstars. (laughs) All right, I'm closing the door. Get out.